Hello, you are listening to a podcast version of a recent message from Freedom Church's Sunday service. Freedom Church is a brand new church plant in Buckeye, Arizona. We meet weekly at Odyssey Preparatory Academy on Apache Road for services every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. If you're ever in the area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. My name is Andrew Cabani, and I'm the lead pastor of Freedom Church, and I just wanted to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our podcasts If you have a prayer request or want to make a decision for Christ after listening to our podcast, please, please, please contact us via the prayer request page on our website, freedomchurchaz.com. Enjoy and God bless. All right. Good morning. We are in uh, week five, our final week of uh, what we are calling Freedom Values, which has been our opportunity for us to take five weeks out of kind of what we would normally be doing to discuss the vision of Freedom Church, uh, as we're still kind of in these beginning stages as as a whole. As we've gone through these weeks, I've kind of used the analogy of this particular study to be sort of like us putting glasses on. I'm a glasses where everything I see literally is through the lens of wearing glasses. Um, and so uh, this really speaks to me, this sort of analogy. I have a little uh, picture for you guys to share for you on the overheads here. But I thought this was a really good illustration of what I'm kind of talking about when I say that this particular study, these five weeks that we've been doing, have been, is is putting glasses on the vision for Freedom Church, allowing us to see a little bit better. All those sort of blurry spots or all the plans that we put together, everything we want to accomplish as a church, we're just, you know, in our infant stages. And we have all of this passion and desire and everything that we want to do for God that God's laid on our hearts, uh, the burden that God has given us for the community and stuff we want to do. And this study has just been an opportunity to sort of put the lenses on just a little bit to see some of the details of what exactly that looks like as we're getting started. And as we complete our final week on vision, essentially that's what we're talking about, the vision of Freedom Church. I have a story for you. Story time with Andrew. Everybody get snuggled in real tight. We're going to have a story here uh, for you. There was once a very wealthy man who was suffering who was suffering from severe eye pain. He was consulted with many doctors and tried their treatments, but nothing helped. Even after consuming so many drugs to treat his eye, he still suffered from pain and even persisted even more. At last, he heard about a monk who was famous for being an expert in treating such problems. He went to him and told him about his problem. The monk understood his problem and said that you should concentrate only on green colors and try not to let your eyes fall on any other color. The the man found that the, the prescription strange, but he was desperate to find a cure and he decided to try it. Again, being a wealthy man, he called for a group of painters and purchased loads of green paint and directed them to paint every object that his eye could see green, just as the monk had prescribed. In just a few days, everything around the man was in green. He made sure that nothing was around him in any other color besides green. This guy would have loved St. Patrick's Day, right? After some days, the monk came and visited the wealthy man, and as he approached, the wealthy man's servant ran with a bucket of green paint and poured it over him. The monk asked the servants the reason for this, and he replied, You're wearing fuchsia. I said this whole story because I wanted to say the word fuchsia because it's one of my favorite words. But you're wearing fuchsia, and we can't let our master see any other color than green. 
Hearing this, the monk laughed and said, if only you had purchased a pair of green-colored glasses for him to wear instead of spending all the money and effort it took to make his whole world green. The moral of the story is that uh, sometimes we have to change uh, the way, adjust the way that we see things rather than try to change the world around us, right? And uh, as we reach the, uh, the final week talking about vision here, I just want to sort of reiterate the fact that the vision behind Freedom Church is one that is currently based on service and community because that is what we feel right now as we're getting started is needed most in Buckeye and here in the West Valley. Buckeye has many, many people who have many, many needs that we can serve and we feel a burden that we can meet those needs. And Buckeye also has a great need for a thriving church community to be in it, to be able to keep up with the sheer number of people. Another, I should say. We, also, we never want to talk down to what other else is going on. We're not the only church in Buckeye, obviously. But we need another church community to keep up with the mass, the mass in, infusion of people that are making their way into Buckeye. So these are the, 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 the vision behind Freedom Church right now is based off of trying to meet the needs of the community that we're in right now. But those things could change, and we want to make sure that we're always nimble enough to be able to change along with those. So as we've kind of described out our vision over these five weeks, uh, we want to make sure that as we finish this up, that we know that things could change. And if there's a need to change, the vision may change, and we'll work on it at that point. So our final freedom value that we are talking about this week, and we have our fifth and final banner that's over here on the wall, is to disciple community. It's not enough for us to motivate, meet, and encourage each other by building community, which is what we talked about last week. We talked about that's kind of how we go about building community, to motivate each other, to meet together, and to encourage one another and do life together is how we build community. But it's not really enough to do that if the end result is not that the community that we're building up is full of disciples, more followers of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it's kind of all for naught. All that building of community is really for naught if the end result is not people finding faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. That is the end result that we're looking for, and we have to disciple the community right alongside building the community. As a matter of fact, it's actually a mandate. It's something that Jesus told us. If you want to call yourself a church, you want to make sure that you're discipling the community. If you have your Bibles, can you open them up to Matthew chapter 28? This morning is where we're going to read. You have your devices. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the uh, right below the rows each there. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you're welcome to keep that Bible. You've got to read it every day. So in Matthew chapter 28, we find that as, we're, as you're turning there, what you'll know in Matthew chapter 28 is this is right after Jesus has risen from the dead. The uh, disciples have gone to find an empty tomb. And what we're about to pick up and read is one of a few, more than a handful of occasions where a post-resurrected Jesus is making himself known to dozens and dozens of people. This was an important thing, that uh, if, if, if Jesus you know, only let one person know that he was risen from the dead, or, or only a couple of people risen, that he was risen from the dead, he wanted to let the whole world ultimately know that he was risen from the dead. That's kind of our job. Um, but he 
a post-resurrected Jesus in the flesh, saw people, and this is one of those occasions, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18, and he gives his followers then the same message and mandate that he gives us now when he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So again, this is a mandate given to us by Jesus as sort of the bare minimum of what it's need to be able to kind of call yourself a church. Go out and make more disciples. It does bring up the question, though, what's a disciple? It's a really good church word. There's been a burden on my heart. This has been years. I really need to do this because it's just it's one of those like itchy sweater type of things that I just have to kind of get off my back. But uh, I've always been wanted to just do a, a, just a study about uh, words that like we don't use anywhere else except for in church, right? Like you don't hear other words out out in the world. We don't typically call somebody a disciple. If you, if you were like, you're like, oh, you're really a great mentor to me. I love being your disciple. Like you probably get something like, they, they look at you weird. Like, let's just be honest, right? Um, we just don't use that word disciple anywhere outside of church. And I, I, it's always been a burden of mine to like, let's talk about all the words that we only use inside of church. And why do we do that? And it has nothing to do with anything. But this is one of them. This is one of the words that we don't often use. It's a word that is very churchy in, 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 its, in its given. So what does it actually mean? Well, disciple is a word that's used in the Bible really interchangeably with the word that we use today, Christian, a follower of Christ. However, whereas Christian is the word that we use now, disciple would have been the word that was mostly used in biblical times. If you look at the New Testament, the word disciple is used 281 times, whereas the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. And so during Jesus' time, if you were considered a Christian, the word that they would use to describe you would be disciple, right? But it's sort of interchangeably in that. According to Easton's Bible Dictionary, to be a disciple of Jesus, you must, one, believe his doctrine. Two, rest, excuse me, a disciple of Jesus must, if they believes in his doctrine, rests on his sacrifice, imbibes, which is like the greatest word ever, imbibes. I get hung up on words, right? Imbibes, which means absorbs or assimilates. I'd literally never heard that word before until I looked up that definition. But imbibes his spirit, absorbs or assimilates his spirit, and imitates his example. That's what a, that's what a disciple of Jesus does, right? And the pluralistic nature of, that per, of those particular words, believes, rests, imbibes, imitates, not only speaks to the fact that it's all-encompassing, that there's enough room for everybody to do all of those things. But it also speaks of this idea of it being a gradualness that comes with it. As in, I, I'm able to believe more now than maybe I did before. I'm able to rest more assuredly now than I am before. I'm able to imbibe more than I, I was able to before. It's a natural growth process. Or another way of saying it, growth and development are essential to discipleship. Growth and development are essentials to discipleship. So this morning I have four quick takeaways for you 
on the growth and development as a means of discipleship. So, number one, discipleship means growing in the knowledge of the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is a richness to the word of God. Notice that none of the words that say, none of these words say that the word of God is useful for providing, I'm going to offend somebody here, I'm trying not to, but provide, the, the, the word of God is useful for providing flowery quotes that we put with windy little backgrounds and we throw it on Facebook to feel good every day. What I will say is that it's not bad. We do that every single week. So that's us. We, we, we put out these scriptures every single week. And one can make the argument that, you know, that particular thing that I just mentioned is teaching, it's rebuking, it's correcting, it's training for righteousness. But the point that I'm trying to say is that these words, training, rebuking, correcting, teaching, these are serious words. This is like user manual stuff. This is user manual stuff that we're talking about when it comes to the word of God. And oftentimes, instead of using it as the user manual, right, the, the uh, Ikea booklet for how to put the dresser together, so to speak, um, our, our kids director, Catherine, loves Ikea furniture. She just loves the idea of being able to put together Ikea furniture. Like, like go with God is all I have to say with that because I always end up with like four extra parts and something squeaks weird. That's probably because I'm not using the manual correctly. Our lives have a lot to do with that, right? When we don't use our user manual correctly, we end up having a, a squeaky drawer um, in our life. But uh, I don't know, what was I talking about there? Uh, <laughs> these, are, these are like important things, right? These are user manual types of things. And often instead of using the word of God as a user manual, we instead use it as like a a really fun fictional novel that we like to read and get inspired by and then put it on the shelf and look for something else, right? But the word of God is, is much deeper than that. There's a much more richness to the word of God to be used for all of these things. Discipleship means falling in love with the scriptures. It means that even if you've read the same passage a hundred times, you're looking forward to number 101 because you're looking forward to what God's gonna tell you in that passage on the 101st time that means more to you than when you read it on the 28th time because of what you're going through right now as opposed to what you were going through then or the difference that you can come from where you can look back to the 28th time that you read that scripture and you can think, I remember where I was when I first read this and now I'm reading it again and I can see the truths that God is giving me through his word, right? The idea is to fall in love with the scriptures. This was described to me one time, and I'll never really forget this particular description in terms of falling in love and building in your knowledge of the word of God. It was described to me this way. If somebody, if, I don't know who this is, some wealthy person, maybe the guy from, the green guy from our story earlier, but if somebody told you that if every day you woke up and you read your Bible, they would deposit money into your account, would you do it? Like a, like a boom, like you, you wake up, you get your coffee because nobody should be reading without coffee. Like we need some of those, some of that caffeine to get us going, right? And uh, if, if you woke up, got yourself ready, cracked open the word of God, got through a couple of chapters, and boom, there's a direct deposit right into your bank account. Like how often would we read our Bibles? 
probably every day, right? And if we got more money, the more chapters that we read, we'd probably be reading a lot more chapters every single day. But it's about us having to adjust our mindset to understand that is exactly what God promises us when we read the word. We read the scripture, and it says that all scripture is useful. That was the NIV version. The New King James Version says all scripture is profitable, profitable for all of these things. That means it has value. It literally has value. That if we treat our time in the scriptures every single day with the idea that, yeah, maybe I don't physically, it's not, I'm, God's not making it rain into our bank account because I spent some time reading, but I'm, I'm getting something from this. He is giving me something much more valuable by reading the word of God and drawing closer to him. And we can get that every single day that's available to us every single day as we go to it. Except this treasure is not is spiritual in nature and just not physical. So that's number one. Discipleship means growing in your knowledge of the word of God. Number two, discipleship means growing in wisdom. Growing in wisdom. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 say, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Excuse me, growing in the knowledge of God. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. So we're to be clear, we're talking about biblical, spiritual wisdom, not an accumulation of knowledge like from the rest of the world. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's utmost wisdom. The foolishness of God is wiser than, God, than man's utmost wisdom. It's the idea of kind of being book smart versus street smart. When I uh, was a kid, this is something my, my older brother would tell me all the time. He's like, man, you're really book smart. Like, you do good in school, but you are one of the stupidest persons that I've ever met. I don't, stupidest persons. I don't even know that it's good English. So I'm, I'm making this, uh, brothers, we're really nice to each other, right? Um, he'd say that all the time because I did have that habit. Like, I had that habit of, like, if there was a harder way to do something, like, I'd figure out the harder way to do it. Like, if there was, like, a, a bunch of things that needed to be moved from one side of the house to the other side, I would try to find the most difficult way to get that stuff over rather than just think about it for a little bit and do it the right way, right? Um, and that's sort of the same, same type of thing here. You can be smart in the ways of the world, but if you're spiritually dumb, what is it really all worth? Spiritual wisdom is unique in that it has to be developed. It's not something that you get immediately upon asking Jesus to be in your heart, to come into your life. When you first come to know Jesus, you can lean on the scriptures. That's the most wisdom that you can have. If you are a day one follower of Jesus Christ, you're not going to have spiritual wisdom. It's, it's hard to have anything on day one. So your wisdom comes from just leaning on the scriptures at that point. But as you go through life, it helps you to understand. You gain wisdom when you say, this doesn't look like a great situation, but I know that God is with me and for me and works out all things for my good. I'm worried about tithing this week, but based on, on what, the, uh, what the old account is saying this week. But, but, but I know that God has pulled me through this 
in the past. I'm not sure how I got to this place in life. I don't see God's hand exactly where it's supposed to be. But I know that God can move me and has been moving me. And I can recognize the things that God has placed in my life now that I didn't even see while we were going through it. So I can trust him for where I'm at right now. That's all spiritual wisdom. And it comes from developing that time with God. And you have to grow that each and every day. Number three, discipleship means developing good spiritual habits. I have on the screen for you Matthew chapter 6. You can turn your Bibles there. We're not going to read everything there, but I would jot this down. Again, I always say note takers, they get the best uh, seats in heaven. Uh, jot this down to definitely read this later on. Um, the, the, I forgot to mention earlier, but the QR code has a place for sermon notes, and you can email them to yourself if you like. We're halfway into this, and now I'm mentioning it. Sorry about that. Um, but Matthew chapter 6 is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount when we talked about serve to glorify, which is the idea of what Jesus told his followers then was to let your light shine upon men so that when people see your good works, they may glorify your Father in heaven. Well, this is a little bit later on in the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus gives us some very specific things that will help us to develop good spiritual habits, and they're all littered throughout Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7. And not only does he give us good spiritual habits, things that we should be doing in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, but he also gives us the how alongside it, not just to do it, but the right way to do it. Somebody like me is looking for the right way to do it. Um, for example, he talks about giving to the needy, but when he says to give to the needy, he says, but don't announce it with trumpets when you give to the needy. Just give to the needy. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't, it doesn't need to be a big deal. Just give and meet the needs because if you allow the trumpets to blow, that's basically the only reward that you're going to get as a result. He goes on to talk about prayer and gives us a model of how we should be praying. Prayer is an essential spiritual habit that must be developed. It's simply talking to God, but it's also something that we often neglect all the time. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, without ceasing, without ceasing, pray without ceasing, it's a very different thing, pray without ceasing, because Paul knew what James wrote in the book of James when he says that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. A lot of stuff gets done when God's people are praying. So, so much can be accomplished when we pray. Not only can God begin to work in that situation because of our faithfulness when we pray, but it also brings us closer together with God. It's kind of the idea of on occasion, we have three kids at home. So this when I say occasion, I really mean occasion in every sense of the word that Heidi and I get to like sit down and talk you know, have a conversation, like an adult conversation, without some kid flying from the ceiling for whatever. And when I say some kid, you all imagined AJ, right? You all saw AJ doing it, right? I know you did. Um, but when we, have, whenever we get to have a conversation, there's a twofold benefit to having a conversation. We should be talking to our spouses, but it's not just that we get to like talk through like, hey, you know, the kids are dealing with this, or we have this issue that we need to deal with, and we can kind of come together and we can fix that issue, but it also helps the two of us to grow closer together in our relationship. It's the same idea with God. When we are praying to God, not only does it like kind of activate because of our faithfulness, God's hand in that situation, but at the same time, because we're spending time with God, we're growing closer 
alongside him. So prayer is an essential spiritual habit that we have to do. So give to the needy, pray. It goes on in Matthew 6 to talk about having a heart of forgiveness. Ooh, that's a tough one, right? Being ready to forgive. You start to dig deep into these scriptures and you realize that it's not just forgive because somebody made you mad, you had some time to decompress, and now you're willing to forgive. It's not just that. It's being ready to forgive at all times. It's kind of the idea of living your life in such a way that you're ready to forgive people who haven't even hurt you yet. Wow, that's like a whole nother level of forgiveness. To be ready at all times to forgive people and and be able to say, yeah, I know, man, I've messed up a million times in my life. I know you messed up there. No big deal, man. Let's move forward. Let's try to find some unity together. Forgiveness is a spiritual habit that we need. It goes on to talk about fasting. Mm, we love fasting, right? Who doesn't love fasting? But fasting is like a spiritual tool that we can use. The idea behind fasting is that you're giving up food, right? And when you're not eating, what happens, especially for guys like me, you get hungry, right? And when you feel hungry, hunger is one of those things. That's why it's so devastating when you hear some of these countries who deal with food shortages. Or even here in Buckeye, who is one of the cities in Phoenix, in the Phoenix area and in the state of Arizona, who deals with, with food shortages the most out of many of these different cities here in the city of Buckeye. When you hear those types of things and you realize that when it comes to hunger, there's no getting away from hunger, Right? Like you could be dealing with like a sprained ankle or you could be dealing with like a shoulder or even like a toothache at times. And you start moving and doing your day and you start going about your day and you can kind of forget that you have that ailment. But hunger is unrelenting, that type of hunger, right? You get hungry and you're going to remember it. And then the reason why it's a tool, fasting is a tool, is that it's your body telling you you're hungry. And when you're fasting, you get, that's your reminder. Okay, now it's time to pray. Like, that's my reminder to come closer to God during that time. I'm hungry. Oh, that's my reminder. I have to go um, closer to God. I'm actually on a diet. I know I look it, right? But I've been doing the intermittent fasting thing. That's a thing That's a, a thing that we do now, right? It's people's science tells us that if we give more hours between our last meal the, the day before and our first meal the next day, it gives our metabolism the opportunity to work the most efficiently that it can. So I've been trying to do that for the last few, few months. Down a couple pounds. Pretty excited about it. But um, I'm doing, I was sharing with Kat. She's like, what kind of diet are you doing? I'm doing a spiritual intermittent fasting because I still get hungry. Like 1030 in the afternoon, like I'm ready to eat. And, you know, eggs smell good, especially when the kids are home and they had their breakfast, right? And so if I feel hungry, that's my time. I stop, I stop and I pray during that time. Hey, God, I want to be healthier. I want to do the right things. I want to be there for my family. I want to be able to do the things that you've called me to. <sighs> What can I do? How can I serve you today? So I do like a spiritual intermittent fast. But whatever that fasting looks like, fasting is a good spiritual habit that we can all adopt. A couple more. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 6 to talk about the dangers of storing up treasures on earth more than what the treasures that you can get in heaven. This is that, this idea of greed and wanting all of the things that you can get on earth. Staying away from that is a spiritual habit. Last two, worry. Do not worry. Not worrying is a good spiritual habit that you can come up with. It's, it's actually an essential spiritual habit. Not allowing yourself to be caught up in, in that worrying all the time, but trusting God and trusting the word that has given you that says, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I take care of the 
the birds in the field. Of course, I'm going to take care of you. I love you. I created you. I made you perfect in my image. I poured into you. Of course, I'm going to take care of you. I take care of the birds in the field. I'm going to take care of you as well. I've known you since you were the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. I know every hair on your head. I love you. I've invested way too much in you to let something bad happen to you. Do not worry, right? Not worrying is a good spiritual habit. Finally, he says, judging others. Talks about why do you care about the speck in your neighbor's eye when you got a big old log hanging out of your own eye? Not judging others is a good spiritual habit. I'll just read them out one more time here. But it's a, the, the ones that we get, good spiritual habits from the Sermon on the Mount, giving to the needy, prayer, forgiveness, fasting, storing up treasures in heaven rather than on earth, not worrying, not judging others. All right, last one. Number four, discipleship means developing a hunger, a desire to serve the Lord. It's the final portion of discipleship to be able to not allow someone, not only allow someone to like learn who Jesus is and how they can best serve them, but get that person and how their individual talents can best be used to serve the Lord. That's what we want to do as we build up our community is help people realize what they're great at, whatever that looks like. We don't want to box you into what you're great at. We want you to be able to use that to serve the Lord. That's a big part of disciple community, but we want you to like get into it, like want to do it, lean into it, be excited to serve the Lord. We want people to have and emulate the same thing that the psalmist talked about in Psalm 42 when he said, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Another quick story. It's a little more personal story time. I have a neurotic dog. Her name's Ray, named after Ray from Star Wars. Um, because we're that family. Uh, but she's neurotic. And I say neurotic because she is um, obsessed. She's an Aussie mix with making sure that our kids are safe at all times. Like, obsessed. Like, will hurt herself uh, before she lets anything bad happen to the kids. And you, you say, oh, well, that's great. No, it's annoying a lot of times. Like, the kids are not in danger. Like, we, I don't need her to, like, you know, be, be like, taking down bad guys. It's not a superhero comic. Like, I just need my dog to calm down sometimes, right? And the best example of this is when the kids go outside to play in our backyard and they're outside playing basketball or in the sprinkler or whatever they're doing outside. She paces by the door until somebody will let her out. And you may be thinking again, I know, I know there's dog lovers out there. I'm not really a dog guy. I like my dog. I don't like your dog, but like I like my dog. Um, and all you dog lovers, are, just let her out. She just wants to play. But the truth is, is that the kids don't even want her outside because she's so neurotic. Because the moment that we open up that door and we let her out, she goes and veers around the corner and she goes like launches herself at our brick wall over and over and over again and just barks and barks and barks because the tiny little chihuahua that lives next door to us is somehow going to take out my children. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But that's all she does over and over. Bark incessantly. Does not stop over and over and over again until we let her in. And when we let her in, here's, I told that whole story just to tell you this. When we let her in, there's nothing that keeps that dog from getting to her water dish when she comes in. Because she's just been barking and going crazy and jumping up against the wall and throwing herself up against the block wall for like 20 straight minutes. And then she just flies to her water bowl and then the most disgusting dog way that she can just laps up all the water 
that she possibly can. And I don't know why I told you all that, but just like the deer pants for the water, just like Ray wants to go to her water bowl, that's the, that's the urgency that we want people to want to serve Jesus Christ, to use their talents, the urgency that we want to give everybody to be able to serve God in whatever that looks like for them. The final thing to say about this particular value, disciple community, and know you can make your way up, is also one of the uh, core values of our SEND network. We are affiliated. Our affiliation is with the SEND network. That's who I'm endorsed by as a pastor to plant a church here. And it's one of their core values, and it's the idea of multiplication, right? We want to give people the opportunity to serve God in whatever capacity that looks like, and whether that's in this church or not, even though we're still in those early stages, we want to equip people, help them to know who God is, what he's about, understand what it means, develop all these spiritual habits, all the things that we've been talking about today. And, then, and in some cases, that's in this church. Believe me, there's a lot we can still do in this church, but we still even want to be mindful that if somebody has called you to go start a church in some other area, some other place that's not as dusty and hot, then like we want to empower you to be able to do that as well. We want to have that mindset at all times to, to allow people to go out and do what God has called them to do. We want to be aligned with our SEND network in that, and that's part of Disciple Community. And that is it. That is our vision. It only took us five weeks and about four hours worth of sermon time to describe the vision for Freedom Church as we are getting started. So now, if somebody asks you, like, what's going on with that church? What's up with that church? You can be like, no problem. I'm going to tell you all about it. I took some notes. Give me four hours, and I'll just tell you uh, exactly what the vision is for Freedom Church and obviously, you're not going to be able to do that. But as I said, way back in the beginning, as we talked about the vision for Freedom Church, way back five weeks ago, when you take all of these things, all five of these freedom values that we have, all four hours of uh, sermon time that we've had over the last five weeks, when you take them in and you boil all of it down, what comes out the other side is service and community. And more specifically, we are a growing church serving a growing community. That's the tagline. It's as easy as that when somebody says, what's that church about? That church is about serving Buckeye, being here for Buckeye, providing meals for Buckeye, providing meals for teachers, all of the different, I'm not gonna list all the service stuff, but if you've been around, you've seen some of the service stuff that we've already been doing, and we're only 15 weeks in, and we have a lot more in store that we want to do for this community. And, and that, so that, that, that church is about serving Buckeye and building up community in Buckeye, a place where people can feel seen, where people can feel heard, where people can feel valued, where they can come and learn about Jesus Christ and then be empowered to use their talents to serve Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be all about as a church. So you don't have to give them all four hours of sermon notes. You can just send them this last 30 seconds, but that's what we want to be about as a church. We're not perfect. I got an email this week and somebody was asking about the church. And I was like, oh yeah, we do this and we do this and we do this. And at the end of it, I was like, but you know what? We can mess up too. Like, I'm just a guy. We, we do this in a gym. Like, it's dusty. Like, I could, I could t point out all the things that are wrong as well. Probably going to make mistakes along the way. And I'm not somebody who's so proud as to say, we got it all figured out. But we love Jesus with all of our heart and we love this community. And we want to be about this community and about what God is doing in this community. 
that's what we're always going to be about. We stand this morning as we close our service. Every week as we close our service, we just give altar time. That's an opportunity for Noah to sing one more song and for us to just spend some time thinking about what God has taught us. Because I'm not the teacher here. The Holy Spirit's the teacher. Every time I get ready to, to teach a sermon, I always just tell God what, what uh, the... Uh, what John said in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist said, where he said, I must become less and you must become more. Like, hold me back. This is all you, God. So whatever the Holy Spirit's been teaching you today, we want to always give opportunity at the end of our service. Just take some time, sing, pray. I'll be down here if you want to come down and pray. If you want to come down to this makeshift altar that's a stage that has butterflies above my head because we're meeting in a school, you can do that too. This is an altar of Christ right now. And you can pray by yourself. You can pray with me. But we always want to give some time at the end of every service for you to spend some time with God before we close. And I'll come back and I'll dismiss you in a congregational prayer.